Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. All right, Pat, I think uh, you've got something for us this week. You have ventured out of uh, our comfort zone and went and talked to somebody. So what do you got? Yeah, so the legislature is in session here in Juneau, and there's all these new faces, and I thought maybe I'd go have a chat with uh, one of them, and I sat down with Representative Genevieve Mina, who I actually met through you. Uh, We had a PowerPoint presentation party at your house, and uh, Genevieve was there, and uh, a bunch of other folks, and we all shared small presentations on big ideas. It was... uh, (laughs) I think that what I think mine was on frisbees. Yeah, Chanda did hers on uh, women's sports, and uh, the one that really stuck with me was the was the presentation on why Jar Jar Banks is really a Sith Lord manipulating everyone throughout all the all the prequel trilogy. I don't remember what her presentation was on. Do you? It was on a rapper that I cannot remember the name of, but it was a guy that like has released like thousands of songs and he has his phone number out there oh yeah yeah and it just seems like an interesting guy so well anyways i went i thought i would parlay my my passing familiarity with with uh um genevieve uh into an interview so i went down and uh scheduled a meeting uh, with her office. She's got some great folks in her office. They were very helpful, and I didn't really know what we were going to talk about, but we ended up talking a lot about, uh, well, I'll, you know what? Well, let's just play the interview, and then uh, people will know what we talked about. It can be kind of conversational and informal. Okay. So, um, yeah, I I, um, I just wanted to welcome you to Juno and also come and talk to you about, uh, you know, what it's what it's like jumping into the fishbowl you're someone who's been uh running in parallel to policy making and uh you're involved in the alaska young democrats and you've been a staffer here in the building and now you're a representative and i was wondering what it's like to um switch roles and to take on more of like a, a front and present leadership role like that yeah absolutely it's really interesting and you know when i started out in politics i was 19 years old, my friend asked me to volunteer on a political campaign, and I'd never been involved in anything related to politics, whether it's local politics or even like following a lot of the national news. Uh, my my biggest familiarity with it all was that I really liked NPR, and that was it. Uh, and so I didn't really imagine myself getting to this point of actually being in elected office and um, running for for this position and all of that but it quite it's been quite a journey and the most exciting thing about it all is that uh you know one of the reasons why I love public service and why I do this type of work is because I found something that I genuinely enjoyed doing that gave me a lot of fulfillment and provided me with an avenue where I felt like I could give back to my community and contribute to the world. And especially when you're a young person in this day and age, you're trying to figure out what can I do? And I thought, you know, maybe I would study biology and, you know, go into medical school or do lab work or something different. But it's hard to try to figure out what you want to do. 
And as I started to volunteer on campaigns, get involved in organizations like the Alaska Young Democrats, you know, I did my legislative internships. Uh, What I enjoyed doing was talking to people, building relationships, learning about policy, trying to figure out how to explain policies to people and uh, doing that in a way where uh, at the end of the day, public policy truly impacts people's lives. And it's a very tangible thing where you want to have good people who want to do the work for good reasons, but also have a vigor to engage more people in that process. And so it's been wild that whether it's been the internship or a campaign or being a staffer, I haven't lost that optimism and that excitement for the public process. And it is exciting to figure out new ways to bring more people into it. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm glad you haven't lost your optimism after the, after the first week in office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're still here. Yeah. Um, the, you, you know, you, you mentioned policy and how important it is. And that's something that like, I feel like it's one of those all roads lead to Rome kind of situations where you can be interested in copyright. You can be a architect that cares about building a building and and the rules that they have to follow you can be you can be someone that cares about the speed limit or or junkyard rules in your mm-hmm. community or any number of things and it all kind of leads back to policy i was wondering like do you have like an origin story is there a particular thing that got you directed towards policy is there like a fix it problem that you wanted to get after yeah that's a great question there was not a specific fix it problem but i think it was because of the you know part of my upbringing my family ran assisted living homes and when you're running a small business like that you have to navigate the different state departments and avenues in order to get your licensing in order to get approved for medicaid and then navigate different rules and regulations so that you're in compliance with state law and federal law and so that was the environment that i had grown up in where uh, i was around uh, a lot of elderly individuals who had dementia and alzheimer's we had our family and family friends and people who are working in the business as caretakers. And uh, additionally, my mom was, you know, the head administrator. So she did a lot of paperwork. And, you know, there were times where she had a big difficulty uh, navigating the state and having her business to be in compliance. And so in that experience, when I was a teenager, I actually spent a lot of time helping my mom with documentation and paperwork especially because for my family, everyone has emigrated from the Philippines except for me. I'm born here, English is my first language, but it's not the first language for my family. And my brother um, you know, lost his understanding of Filipino because he moved here when he was five. And so I had to help translate a lot of my mom's handwritten anecdotes and type them up. And so because of me being a part of my family and trying to help my family with their business, it was kind of a necessity for me to be able to explain policies and government documents to my family. But that had never inspired me to be like, okay, well, this is what I want to do for a living. However, uh, once I got older and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in college, the one thing that I loved doing more than anything was academic debate. And it was the most stimulating activity for me because it forces you to learn about the world. And I'm naturally a very curious person. And I loved honing in on the ability to take a concept and figure out how you can explain it to someone and even have them be on board with that idea. And so as I started to get involved into politics, 
policy became a natural avenue for me to really use my debate skills and my excitement for all things around the world and figure out the things that I wanted to help change and improve. And so the thing that I love about public policy is that you don't have to be fixed into an interest. You know, I started in health policy and then I started to learn about transportation and urban planning. And then I learned about energy issues. And so it's such a great way for you to gravitate into all the different concepts and issues that impact people around you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at this photo you've got on your desk here and it's, there's this like tiny Filipino woman surrounded by like a, like just dudes in suits, like football player build white American (laughs) men, you know, a guy with a, like smoking a pipe and they're (laughs) leaning on the wall. And you can tell it's just like someone in the navigating the halls of power here. And, and, and the, the inscription on the back says, a dime amongst nickels. Can you tell me about who this is and why this is important to you? Yes, for sure. So this is um, a photograph of Representative Thelma Buckle. She was the first Filipina American elected to a state legislature in the United States. And she was elected to the Alaska House of Representatives in 1973. And she started her term in 1974. And she served for um, a couple of years, but was here, you know, through 1980 when they passed the permanent fund and made a lot of very significant votes. Uh, and so I, you know, when I was interning in the Capitol in 2017, I think one day I was curious and I was, I wanted to know if there was ever um, a Filipino elected to the Alaska State Legislature. So that's how I learned about here. But I was really lucky to be working in the building at the same time as Christine Marsegan, who um, was a longtime staffer in the building and she now works for the Department of Health. But what I really appreciate about her is that she has done a lot of work to identify Filipinos who work in the capital where like we are not a very large group and really welcome them into the broader Filipino community. It's very common for Filipino Americans to feel disconnected from the Filipino community. And so to be able to have that bridge as an adult, especially someone who's working in politics, just as yourself and in working in government, uh, truly means a lot. And so the inscription in the back is actually a quote from, I believe um, he was um, a Filipino ambassador, Carlos P. Romulo. And uh, I believe that the context around the quote is that um, they were talking about how he was a diplomat and he was surrounded by all of these other people at the UN and him being Filipino, he was pretty short compared to them. And he, his quip was that, oh, well, I'm just a dime among nickels. Yeah, I love it. It's it's so evocative and it just, you know, it, it gives you a sense of, of, you know, this like really sharp, adept person sort of <laughs> amongst them big old, yeah. big old thumpy nickels. Um, but I, I love it. So Juno has a really big Filipino community and, and Alaska in general does as well. You know, everything from like cannery workers and, you know, people came here to kind of make their fortune and then brought family over and then the families grew. And then we so we've just really got a huge Filipino population here. Well, the Filipino community in Alaska is quite large and very diverse um, from my understanding. And I could be wrong in this, but um, Filipinos are the largest immigrant group in um, the state. And we definitely make up a city. Right, right behind us, white people, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, there we go. <laughs> and then uh, we make up a significant um, portion of 
Asian American Pacific Islanders. And so if you're not from Alaska, but you are Filipino, um, like a Filipino American, you know, you might wonder or be a little bit incredulous that there are a lot of Filipinos in Alaska, in Alaska. But, you know, I've had to make that point when I see, you know, Filipino Americans online, you know, talk about like, what, there's Filipinos up there? Absolutely. And it's gone on for um, hundreds of years that we've had a presence in in Alaska, uh, you know, dating back to, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years prior. And so, you know, when you think about the Filipino community in Alaska, part of it is because of the long history of cannery workers. And the reason why there are a lot of cannery workers is because of the Chinese Exclusion Act in the late 20th century. And so when that happened, Filipinos started to essentially replace uh, Chinese workers who were working at many fish processing and cannery plants. Uh, uh, On top of that, there are um, a lot of Filipino American nurses in Alaska, as there is in the rest of the world. So my family comes from both sides of that. My dad was, uh, he got up to Alaska working in the canneries, but was originally, he had emigrated to Delano, California with the rest of his family working uh, on at grape farms. Uh, and, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. and my mom's side, um, she's the first nurse in her family. She was the first person in her family to graduate from college. So I, I'm two sides of that story, which is cool. But yeah. we have a ton of people in the hospitality industry, in government, uh, in all different economic sectors, small businesses. And so, uh, you know, I think what's really important is that there is so much depth and diversity in who we are and we're not just you know people who live in coastal cities but we are uh, also here in Alaska and we have our own histories and stories it's so multi-generational now that everyone's just kind of embedded it's we're all part of the same community right mm-hmm. we're all kind of like spilling into each other's lives as there's there's not right. as much of a of a hard line but there is still a really distinct like there's a Filipino community hall here there's like mm-hmm. a you know there's like a space and a location for a community which is a really neat thing to see like um i feel like you have to have really have like a critical mass to be able to do that yeah yeah absolutely and the one thing i forgot to mention is you know how you can learn more about this history but um, representative helma buckold after uh, her time in the legislature wrote a book called filipinos in alaska and you know it dates back to our first presence in alaska hundreds of years ago when there were filipino seamen who were on spaniard ships that happened to have um you know found and visited, you know, struck uh, the land of Alaska at that time. And, you know, it goes into the 1950s. But, you know, when you look at the history, especially with a lot of Filipino families who built relationships with um, indigenous people, um, especially in Southeast, there's a lot of mixed uh, Filipino Clinket families. A lot of that is because there was a lot of discrimination and racism at that time. And so, you know, different communities of color found solidarity and relationships with one another. Uh, and it's beautiful to see that mixing to this day, especially I think one of the coolest things is uh, the mixing of cuisines. So you you will yeah. see people make um, uh, adobo, except it's moose adobo, or you'll pe- see people make sinigang, which is a popular sour soup, but they'll make it with salmon or fish that they've caught, you know, during the fishing season. Uh, so I think there's a lot of common values in a long history from that. Well, if you like that, like, mix of cuisine, there's some great adobo burritos over at the Alaska State Museum. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, no, that's delicious. It, it, it's just so cool to learn about 
there's another society. Uh, so there's a national group called FONS, and I believe it's Filipino American National Historical Society. And we do have a local Alaska chapter. So um, Christine Marcy again has uh, long been involved in that. Um, Thelma Balkod was definitely a huge instrumental leader in FONS in their early days. Uh, I believe their current chapter president is Quint Bagkal, but uh, there are a lot of people who are very involved in Filipino American history. And so, you know, part of that, uh, you know, the bill that I introduced this year, along with Senator Gray Jackson, is to officially recognize October as Filipino American History Month, because we do have so much history in this state, and we have a big Filipino population here. So it's important to acknowledge that. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, there's a difference between history and heritage, and sometimes people mix up the two, depending, I guess, on the month and the, yeah. then the event. But uh, for a lot of different uh, communities of color, there are events that recognize us in terms of our cultural heritage. So we talk about our dances, we have our food, but we don't go too much in depth in terms of our contributions to the communities around us and the way that we've made our mark on our history and our um, current society. And so the importance of history in Filipino American History Month is to really recognize where we've come from and where we are now. And that's a saying from uh, uh, Filipino uh, national hero, Jose Rizal, who helped lead uh, Filipinos during the Spanish occupation. And he says this phrase about, uh, you know, no history, no self. And so it's an essential part of our identity. Yeah. So it's so instead of celebrating the the cuisine or the or the dance or, or the artwork, you're you're celebrating the people who have made an impact on this state and brought us to where we are today. And, and like and people like uh, Thelma Buckhold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and but celebrate the food too. Yeah. Eat yeah. The food and learn. <laughs> you can do both. So it sounds like you're a representative not only of the people in your district, but of Filipino Alaskans in a lot of ways that you're looking out for the interests of people that that have had similar experiences across the state. Is that sort of how you view yourself? Uh, it, it's part of it. And I think it's it's also not exclusive to Filipino Alaskans, right? I feel a strong affinity with many people who don't see themselves reflected in government. And I myself, I never saw myself being involved in politics and government. Part of that is because I physically didn't see myself and I couldn't relate to people in power. And I think the more that we can do to help dispel the stereotypes of what we think a politician is and to break down those barriers in government, the more that we can empower people who have historically been excluded and disenfranchised from political institutions. And so, you know, I've had experiences in my time where I've served on a local board or I'm at a public meeting and I've had people come up to me and say, I really appreciate that you're here. And there's this, you know, extra layer to that that statement where I know where they're coming from and what they're saying is, I see you. And that means a lot to have that presence. And so the way that I think about my public service and my duty to Alaskans is making sure that people feel included in the process and that they can be heard, even if, you know, historically it might not seem that way. Yeah. And I know there's like a real power in representation and seeing people like you in positions of power, but is there something different you want to do with the power that you have like is there an approach to power that you that has that you want to change or is there anything different about that or is it just a matter of like being here and showing people that you can be here and that you deserve to be part of this process i think so much of 
the duty and the responsibility of being in public office is that uh, you do become a public figure and that's quite different from you know being behind the scenes or people who don't want to be in the spotlight and it was a big learning experience for me as I was campaigning and knowing that you know everybody is watching what you do especially if you don't look like everybody else and you don't come from those similar backgrounds and so something that I think about a lot when I think about this idea of power is that you know all of our community has power even if they're not in a specific position and so you know when I think about this phrase and the, I, this was on my campaign but like empowering our community part of it is that I'm not giving anybody power. We have that power, but it's a matter of uplifting those voices and making sure people are part of the process. But there's this other saying that um, Val Davidson had actually said, former Lieutenant Governor Val Davidson had said at uh, the Women's March a couple of years ago, and I believe it's from her grandmother, but her grandmother had always told her to lead with love. And I love that phrase because we don't usually think about leadership in government and associating it with emotion, or at least in positive emotion, especially because we have these ideas that power is about control and, you know, politics is ruthless and it's full of sharks. And definitely, you know, you have to have ways to uh, protect yourself. However, I think it can be disarming in a good way to be able to connect with people in good faith and to truly try to figure out how to care for someone because the actions that we do and the votes that we have on bills and budgets impact people. And that's a very central part of why I care so passionately about public policy. But we can lead with love, and that is powerful in and of itself. Right. When when decision-making becomes about protecting your own ability to make decisions, it's not <laughs> about the people who are impacted or about the results. It's just sort of about accumulation of you know authority mm-hmm. and and I yeah so I, I like that and I think that there are a lot of you know when you talk about empowering your community there are a lot of people in communities that don't realize the power they have mm-hmm. um, you know if they were to participate if they were to uh, let their voices be heard if they were to group together you know there's just a lot of power that's unrealized out there in in that way mm-hmm. um, and I yeah, I guess to get away from this and to sort of like head towards a, yeah. <laughs> I know you've got meetings to run off to. No, um, I was just kind of wondering like about the makeup of your district. Are there people in your district that really inspire you? People that, you know, like maybe they're activists or artists or um, or historians or things like that. Like who, who are some of the people in your community that you think the rest of Alaska could really learn something from? Mm, that's a great question. I'm just going to say the three first people that came to mind, and there's a ton of other incredible people in my district. So I'm really r- proud to represent House District 19, which is Mountain View, um, Western Russian Jack, and Airport Heights. It's a community that I have grown up in for most of my life. I live there today, and I hope to be there forever. And so three people, Jasmine Smith, Tasha Hotch, Cal Williams, Uh, Jasmine, I feel like everybody knows her. She has been such a leader for the black community in Anchorage. She helped to restart 
Juneteenth and make that a lively event and have it grow by huge numbers every single year. She is an entrepreneur. She is a mother of two rambunctious and hilarious, very young twins who have their own (laughs) adventures. And she has been such an incredible friend uh, and supporter to have over the years who truly speaks out for her community in Mountain View and it does that in a way that brings people in, checks back on on people's stereotypes of that community. And then also, she's so funny. And I think it's important for people to uh, be involved in politics, but do it in a way that is healthy, that doesn't burn yourself out. And so humor is my has always been my way to how I've navigated a lot of the political arena. And so Jasmine and I are very similar in those ways. Uh, Tasha Hotch is has been an incredible community leader, also in Mountain View for decades. Uh, she served on multiple nonprofit boards and also on boards and commissions in the municipality of Anchorage. Uh, she's been involved in her tribe with the Clinton and Haida tribe, and she has been she has so much grit. And um, both of um, Tasha and Jasmine are also we're similar because we are from underrepresented communities and that uh, responsibility is carried a lot in our work and then Cal Williams as well he was actually recently honored with a doctorate from uh, the university but he's a longtime civil rights leader he helped create the NAACP in Anchorage after um, people had white people had burned down um, a home in Rogers Park that was built by black people and he's been a really valuable historian on redlining in Anchorage uh, and uh, he's he's still very active today uh, so the, those are the three people that come to mind and I'm really lucky to represent a lot of uh, especially in Airport Heights urbanists and journalists which is funny uh, and so there are so many engaged people all across the district but a lot of really awesome leaders that i hope everybody in alaska acknowledges all right well thanks so much for your time today it's been really nice to chat with you i appreciate it hello alaska so that was uh our interview with genevieve mina new representative here in Juneau, and uh I don't know. Do you have any like closing thoughts or what, what do you get out of that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I think like, you know, right now we are a week uh, and a half into the legislative session. Right. Uh, I think there was a little bit of like, you know, that the House organizing a Repu- around a Republican majority, I think uh, to some people was real bad. Right. And I think it, it could be. But knowing that there are people like Representative Mina in there, I think really like makes me feel more kind of optimistic about the situation i think too that you know having more representatives that are are younger uh, from different you know communities all that sort of stuff really makes a huge difference and i think when we're talking about the long term of the state and the, the its outlook i think there are people like genevieve make me feel optimistic about it because i think that you know it like we want need people who are invested for the long term who have connections to this place and who want to see it be better for everybody involved so yeah and i i made sort of a dumb joke in the middle of this about um she said something about how filipino population is the is the largest immigrant population in alaska which is which is correct um i think something like 31 percent of immigrants in alaska are filipino um which is a huge compare i think the next highest is like seven percent or something like that so it's it's a huge percentage of our immigrant population and my dumb interjection was like what about us white guys but the uh 
Um, and I think that the, the thing that I want to acknowledge is that a lot of the white settlers in Alaska are just that, are settlers or colonists. Like it's a little, it's, it's much different than being an immigrant. And I think the, def, the distinction between the two is really important. So apologies if that rubbed anyone the wrong way, but I think that that's an important distinction. And I think like from a personal perspective, it's just interesting to really hear how people connect with their culture and, and their history around it. And, you know, somebody who, you know, myself is mixed race. I am, you know, half white, half Hispanic, you know, growing up in an English speaking household and not having very strong connections to it. It's always really interesting thing to sort of wrestle with and kind of how, you know, how that informs my own identity. You know, what, what am I? And, and who am I? And what's, what kind of culture am, are we connected to? And I think a lot of that answer is like, you know, looking back at the past, looking back at some of the people who've paved the path that, you know, we are succeeding on, you know, we are forging new identities along the way. You know, I think I've had people ask me before, like, what's it like being mixed race? How does that work? And, you know, the the answer that I kind of come around to is like, I'm me. And I think that's interesting, you know, when we talk about how the Filipino community is like, become a part of Alaska, you know, and how they've forged, you know, connections to the Alaska Native community. And I think that's like really cool. I think that's it, it is sort of creating new while also um, understanding some of the past and history and all that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know, it, it's it's a complicated thing. And I'm sort of always constantly wrestling with it. But yeah, I just like to hear somebody else talk about it and, and hear their experiences of what that all means to them. Yeah. And I think I can see why that would stir up some things for you to think about. Like partway through the pandemic, we talked about this a little bit, but you started using your, your other last name in your writing. And that mm-hmm. was like a little bit of sort of a tip of the hat to that part of your identity, which is not yeah. really front and center. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, I think there's a lot of like preconceived notions about what um, it should be like, I always feel bad that I don't speak very good Spanish at all. And I, you know, I need to remember that, you know, for my mom, it was not allowed to be spoken. You know, it was not a thing that you was like, okay to learn. It was, she was, you know, wow. actively discouraged to learn it. And, um, I didn't know that. You know, that's, sort of that's, like, that's like what Alaska natives have gone through here. I didn't realize that you were kind of yeah. in a similar. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as, as, it was not nearly as like inst- institutionalized. No, but the effect means, is the but... same, right? Like it's the same, the outcome is the yeah. same, is that you don't have but, a connection to the language. Yeah. And so, you know, I think there was, you know, it was this idea of like we needed, you know, the family needed to become more assimilated, right? And that meant giving up elements of that culture and that connection to it. And, I think, you know, my mom and my family has made a lot of efforts to reconnect to it, you know, find old family in Mexico and that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like that knowing where you come from is, is kind of important and understanding your family's story and history. And, um, you know, like I've got some pieces of that, but there's a lot of like, there's a lot of just sort of blank slate out there that is kind of waiting to be filled in. Yeah. And I think too, I, th- I think it, it's great to see, um, you know, the talk about, you know, just forging new traditions too in, in the places that we live, that we're not, you know, culture is not a static thing, right? And and having changes and evolutions along the way and being able to incorporate the new with the old has been really interesting. And I think seeing Genevieve in the legislature is really great, especially when you can kind of connect links to the past of other people who served before from the Filipino community, I think is, 
I don't know. I think that like building that history and building those connections is like really cool. And I think having knowledge of it and the, the curiosity to to look into that sort of stuff and understand it makes you know where we're going that much more informed and and more sensitive. So yeah. It- is it is it hard for you as a journalist to have someone like someone that you've known like prior to them being involved in politics that you've known pretty well to get into the legislature? Is that a, I mean, it seems like a like not necessarily a conflict, but it's just that Alaska is a small state kind of thing where everyone's you've been around long enough, and all of a sudden people you know are starting to get elected to office and hold important positions, and like it feels like it becomes easier to empathize with them, harder to criticize them, and all of that. Is that, like, in the math there at all, or? To some extent, right? I think the reality of it, and the reality I've always sort of believed in with it, even back at the newspaper day, is that, yeah, Alaska is a small place, and we're going to have connections of some sort to one another, and it's impossible to ignore. I think one of the last things I'll say, too, is, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, my negative feelings about elections and and how, you know, I come out of it sort of feeling like charged and sort of like mad about how things went. And I think it's hard to like kind of disconnect some of the personal personal element of it. And but I would say like it was really good watching the, the, the first few days of the floor session where, you know, we saw these images of. The practice floor committees of, uh, you know, just of the moments of seeing, watching legislators sort of just hang out and talk on the floor in between at eases. And it was interesting seeing Genevieve, you know, a person I know, being, you know, friendly with everybody. And I think it kind of was like a good reminder that the legislator and the, the legislative process ought to be in some level disconnected from the rancor of the elections, right? You know, in an ideal world, we can put aside some of our bad feelings and realize that, okay, we're in this for the next two years. Let's work together in in whatever capacity we can. And I don't know, I think it's like good to see people being friendly and laughing. That's how like work gets done across these sort of like, you know, very stark partisan divides. If we're going to get anything done, it's going to be through you know, joking around on the house floor between things and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it was a good thing to see for me a little bit, just a reminder that, okay, we're like switching gears. We're going to be more productive now. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, that was our interview. Maybe we'll do some more interviews in the future and uh, have a good day. See you later. Bye, Matt. See ya.